Thank you. Thank you, thank you. What do you do when the darkness tries to overpower you? I thought it would be appropriate to listen to a great teacher and theologian, Yoda, who said, Once you start down the dark path, forever it will dominate your destiny. Consume you, it will. I wish I had a good Yoda voice. That would make this so much better, but I, I can't do impressions. But I think he was right. Can I get an amen from the Star Wars fans? I think he was right. Once you start down the dark path, oh, it's, it's so hard. It's so hard to turn back. And I think the truth is a lot of us in the room know this because we've experienced this or maybe we're experiencing this today. And I don't, I don't claim to know all that you have going on in your life, but I just know because I know people, because I know my life, that this is true. That there is a real struggle with light and dark. And darkness is powerful. And some of you in the room right now, you know it because you are knee-deep or more in darkness. And maybe for you today, that darkness, maybe it's the darkness of sin. I know we come in here every week and we pretend like everything is okay, but, you know, you know, I know. There is always a struggle with temptation. There is always a struggle with sin. There is always a struggle with darkness going on around us. And you know, if you've struggled with sin like I've struggled with sin, that you can be forgiven of sin But to receive healing from sin, there's only one way to get that. We read it a while ago. You can be forgiven by God, but to be healed by God, there seems to be this next step, this idea of confession, this idea of bringing what was in the dark into the light. And a lot of us in the room know what it is to come to God and be broken and by our sin and to ask for forgiveness and to receive that forgiveness, but to know that there's something still missing, and it's because we haven't. We haven't really brought what was in the dark into the light. And until you do that, you can't receive the healing that God wants to offer. Some of us in the room, I know this is true for some in the room, and I don't know everyone is true, but I know it's true for a lot of us. The darkness you're struggling with today is, is, is sickness. It's this ancient enemy of health, of physical well-being. And you know, you either know through experience or you know someone who knows that when you are up against the wall with your physical health and things are not going the way it should and when your body's breaking down and not doing what you wish it would do, that that can either draw you nearer to God than you have ever been before or it can push you further away from God than you have ever been before. But we all know that it's in the light of the presence of God that we find the help that we need, even in those moments. And some of us, the darkness you're up under today is, is probably just brokenness, broken relationships. You know, they say you are who you're with. They say that you're, you're like the five people you spend the most time with. That's a scary reality for some of us, I know. But if that's true, and if we've made poor choices along the way of who we spend our time with and who we've put around us and, and the people that we allow to have influence over us, and the people that maybe we're trying to have influence on, those broken relationships, you know this, it's like gravity, They can bring us down. And maybe you thought about spending time with these people, with this group of people, with this certain set of people, that that your goal was good, your intentions were pure, you wanted to pull them up to where you are. But you know, it's just a fact. It's like gravity. It's so much easier to be pulled down than it is to be pulled up. 
And I'm not saying we shouldn't spend time with people who need Jesus. But I am saying there's a darkness that comes when we're surrounded by broken relationships. And it's only when we step out of the darkness and into the light that we receive the healing that we need. And what I want to do today is just, I want to remind us of this simple truth. That if you are in a struggle with a dark side, or if you know someone who right now is, is in the middle of darkness, I want to remind you, I want to remind you the power, I want to remind you of the power of the light of God. Because darkness, no doubt, darkness is powerful. But light, light is more powerful. In fact, if you think back, you know this is true. Some of the first words that God ever spoke were these words from Genesis 1-3. Let there be light. Isn't that interesting? The God who, who is in and of himself pure light thought that when he began creation, the first thing that he would create would be light. This was the very first thing. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And then do you remember this story? The first time we learned the name of God was in the very presence of light. One of the coolest stories of all time in Exodus 3. You know the story if you've been around very long. But it goes like this. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire in light from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement like all of us would because the bush was engulfed in flames, but it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't it that the bush isn't burning up? I must go see it. And when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called out to him from the middle of the bush. And as the story goes on, God tells Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt where you came from And I want you to go to Pharaoh, whose house you used to live in, and tell him to let my people go. I want you to deliver my people from their current suffering, their current oppression. They've been there for hundreds of years. And bring them from their current darkness into light, into the promised land. And Moses says, skip down to verse 13. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? And what should I tell them? And God replied to Moses, tell them this. I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Right there in the middle of a burning bush. Right there in the middle of the presence of light. Just Moses, just God. God reveals his name and he says, what's my name? My name is I am. You tell them I am has sent me to you. And then you fast forward. And Jesus has come. And John, one of Jesus' closest disciples, one of his closest friends, decides to write down the story of Jesus. And from the very beginning, John is trying to paint a picture of Jesus. And throughout, throughout his story, seven times, John says, Jesus proclaims who he is by using these exact same words. By saying, I am. And so what, is, what does Jesus say? Well, he says things like, I am, I am the good shepherd. I am the gate. I am the vine. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then today we're going to look at the time when Jesus said, I am 
the light of the world. And what I love is in the very opening verses of John's story, in the Gospel of John, John is setting this idea up from from moment number one, from paragraph number one. In John 1, verse 1, John says this about Jesus. He says, In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word is Jesus. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. And God created everything through him. In other words, Jesus was the one who said, Let there be light. Nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. So Jesus, Jesus steps out of heaven, out of the light of heaven, and enters the world that he created. And into the darkness of the world, into the brokenness of people, the blackness of sin, the depth of despair, Jesus steps into the world. Jesus comes on the scene. And can you imagine? Can you imagine that night when Jesus is looking around? The night that he said these words he's about to say, it's, it's around the time of Hanukkah. So I imagine he's there with his disciples and his followers that night. The people of God were all around the courts of the temple. And there's lights flaming everywhere reminding them of this this ancient festival, this time when there was a light lit and it wouldn't go out. And, and he's looking at the darkness around him and he sees the light and he's thinking about the brokenness around him. Because before, before sin, before sin, things weren't this way. Sin literally broke everything. Sin broke creation. Before sin, there were no hurricanes, there were no tsunamis, there were no hailstorms, there were no wildfires. Sin broke everything. Sin broke our bodies. Before sin, there was no cancer. There was no AIDS. There was no death. There was no dying. Sin broke everything. Before, before sin, there were no broken relationships. There was no fighting. There was no division. There was no divorce. There was, there was none of that. Sin literally broke everything. And Jesus came from heaven to earth, from light into the darkness, and he looks around at these people who have been broken and we were living in this darkness. And Jesus says these words. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Jesus, Jesus the one who spoke light into the world, says that I am the light of the world. Jesus looks around at the circumstances around him and he wants these people to know that if you follow him, if you follow Jesus, the light of the world, you can walk in darkness, but you don't have to be in the darkness, right? Because you can have, you can possess, you can have inside of yourself the light of the world, the light of the world that is Jesus. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. So my question is, what do you do? What do you do when the darkness around you tries to overpower you? What do you do 
in the middle of whatever the current darkness is that you are facing today? What do you do? And do you have this light that Jesus is talking about? I met a guy a couple of weeks ago by the name of Justin. Justin was in a terrible um, incident, involved in a terrible incident several years ago. 2013, I believe, was the year. Thursday, I think 6 p.m. He was driving down a quiet road here in this area, and something went terribly wrong. In fact, there was another car that was driving on that same road, and they pulled over. They thought maybe the driver of this car had had a heart attack or something. They saw the car swerve off the road, and so they ran to see if they could help. And when they got there, they realized that something had gone tragically wrong. And I want you to hear Justin's story today because because I, I believe you'll hear something that's true when it comes to this idea of light and dark and what the light of Jesus is really like. I could tell you that story, but I thought it'd be better if you heard it from Justin himself. So, church, would you help me welcome Justin Elliott to the stage this morning? Justin? A couple of weeks ago, Justin came and he shared his story with our youth group. And I was able to meet Justin shortly after and uh, was so encouraged uh, by his story. I thought if there was a chance that he could share that with all of us, uh, we could all be blessed in a tremendous way. So, Justin, we're really glad to have you and thankful that you're here. Yeah. Justin's dad, Mike, and Debbie is here as well as mom. Turn the phone off. <laughs> that was like a really bad thing to happen in the middle. <laughs> awesome. There we go. Thank you, Justin. I think it'll be all right. There we go. There's your mic right in front of you there. There you go. Justin, would you just start by just sharing your story and kind of what, what's happened? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I will start from the beginning of the incident um, that happened April 11th, 2013. Uh, like Corey said, I was driving home from work at 6 p.m. Um, the North Dallas Richardson area. I was coming down Coit Road about a mile north of 635, and uh, something went terribly wrong. Somebody had pulled up next to me and shot me in the head. Um, it was very, I mean, obviously it was very bad. Um, you know, worse, pretty much worse circumstances possible for the most part. Um, when that happened, since I was driving, my car drifted to the other side of the road, um, and this woman and her fiancé, they saw my car, about three car lengths in front of them, as they turned out of their neighborhood, crashed into a parked car on the side of the road. And, you know, they turned around. They thought someone had a heart attack. A police officer had someone pulled over a couple blocks down the road. She told her fiancé to go get that police officer for help. Um, and she started to approach the car. She didn't see anybody in the car when she started walking up to it. And so she just figured, you know, maybe this, you know, this guy probably had a heart attack. And you know, he's down. It's you know, it might be bad. She got up a little closer, and I sat up in my seat, and I started talking, and talking about how I can't breathe, 
and I need help. She couldn't get me out of the car because the car door was jammed, I guess, from the minor accident. And she didn't know what had happened. Um, Just to give you all a visual idea, the bullet went in my left temporal area right around here. And it took my entire face off. Just if you want to get a good idea, put your hand over your face like this and imagine all that and the bone structure being destroyed. It severed my optic nerves and left me blind. I don't have any eyes. Uh, The eye that I do have on this right side is a prosthetic. And part of my frontal lobe of my brain came out. She she just thought maybe he hit his head on the steering wheel. She couldn't tell because there was just so much, you know, blood and everything else. The paramedics got there, and as she was helping him out of the car, or helping them get me out of the car, and they put me on the stretcher to take me to the hospital, they noticed the driver's side window was intact, laying on the ground with a bullet hole in it. it. The whole window just fell out of the car, and it didn't break. It just had a bullet hole in the middle. So when they saw that, they all knew what had happened. Uh, they took me up to Plano Hospital because, you know, I was about five or six miles away from there. They couldn't handle the level of trauma I endured, uh, so they flew me by helicopter downtown to Parkland Hospital, where I ended up staying for two months. It was really, really bad. They didn't do any surgeries on me for a week because they needed to let the swelling around my brain go down. Um, let alone that, they didn't think I was going to live. Well, my parents got a phone call and arrived at Parkland Hospital. They were met by homicide detectives because the doctor said I was not going to live. Um, I did. I beat all the odds, you know. Um, they went to did surgery on me a week later. Um, it was 18, hour, 18 consecutive hours long. They put my brain back in place, sealed it up. They removed my eyes. And they went in to do the reconstruction. The oral maxillofacial team did with the intent of it was so badly damaged, they don't know what to do. So everybody they had been talking to over that week before the surgery was, everyone came up with the same idea to just take a big skin graft and lay it across my face and leave me faceless. The doctors got in there, you know, a week later after I got hurt, and they started cleaning up stuff to do, you know, to prepare to put the flap off my, of my face on. And they saw that there was more to work with than they initially saw in scanning and, you know, other visuals. They were able to rebuild my face, which is an absolute miracle. Because, number one, they didn't think it was going to be possible, but God was working during that first week, you know, to let them be able to rebuild my face, to make me feel normal. Um, I'd like to say I'd be fine being faceless, but I don't know if I can honestly say that right now, you know. Uh, I, don't, I think it would mentally mess with, my, mess with me, I mean, because I'd touch my face and not feel a face. I'd feel like I was a monster. But who knows, right? Um, it's also another miracle that I lived in the first place against all the doctors who saw me. And I think a lot of doctors saw me. During that surgery, they had three different teams of doctors, the traumatic brain injury, the ophthalmology and oculoplastics, and the oral maxillofacial department. Staying in that first week of time, it's just half how I have to lay my story out. <laughs> Two days after I got hurt, the woman who got me out of the car, her name was Shelly, by the way, 
She ended up being my surgical intensive care nurse at Parkland Hospital and took care of me for a couple weeks. Wow. Um, you know, that is an absolute miracle. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, coincidence happens here and there, but I wasn't in front of Parkland Hospital and she just happened to, you know, be getting off work and see me. You know, I was 15 miles away from Parkland. Um, she was just going to dinner with her fiance. You know, I mean, what were the odds that somebody who's seen the worst of the worst of the worst in Dallas County and probably for the country or a lot of other places in the world for that matter, to be prepared, to be able to handle that, to not freak out, to not, to not freeze in shock. Um, you know, I, I call her my angel, you know. Jesus protected me, and he put her there to help save me, you know, here on earth. I stayed in the hospital for two months. Um, I think they had me sedated for a long time because, you know, I didn't need to be moving around and stuff with, you know, just having my face fully reconstructed. And I think my jaw was wired shut and a bunch of other stuff. I had a feeding tube in for seven months, seven or eight months. Um, But the traumatic brain injury was very bad in the hospital. I was not myself. Um, I was acting like myself. I just, it wasn't me, you know, it was the brain injury, a brain injury. It was very bad. It was so bad that a lot of the times they had to call the hospital police to come upstairs to hold me down so they could restrain me to the bed. Hmm. Um, I eventually ended up in a veil bed, which is a like netted cage around the bed so I couldn't get out and hurt myself or hurt anybody else. You know, not that they were trying to be cruel to me, they just, you know, it was for everybody's safety. <laughs> My parents didn't know how they were going to deal with it. I was going to come home and live with them, and they were going to help me adapt to being blind. You know, I think that was the easiest part of everything <laughs> they went through so far was finding out that I'm only blind. Um, they didn't know what they were going to do. How do they deal with this traumatic brain injury? It's not, it's not him. He's strong. We don't have the medicines or the manpower or the equipment, you know, to hold him down. Um, so they fought and got me a couple extra weeks in the hospital. Uh, longer than I was initially going to be in there because of the brain injury. And I still had a brain injury when I left at the beginning of June. That very moment I got home from to my parents' house from the hospital after being there for two months, it, my parents told me that as soon as I got home, all signs of that brain injury just instantly disappeared. Hmm. You know, no, just what another miraculous thing that happened. Um, since then, and since the initial incident, I've endured 29 surgeries and I've been to the doctors for follow-ups over 360 times in almost four years. Um, I think right about now I'm hitting six months without a surgery, which is a, probably one of my longest stretches without a surgery in four years. Um, you know, then the healing began at home. I had to relearn how to live life. You know, I think of it sometimes as starting life all over. I learned how to, I had to learn how to walk again. Not physically with my legs, but I had to learn how to walk with, you know, the white cane. I had to rely on this to be my eyes. What I feel and what I hear is my vision, is my eyesight, is what I see. I didn't ever go to a dark place, which I very much should have and would have been okay to be upset or sad or angry or really mad about what happened to me. And I gave that all to God. He never let me go there. His grace was good enough to never let me go there. Not once have I thought about it. I've thought about it sometimes, just 
just know that it's okay to be upset. I've tried to make myself cry about it before, and I can't cry. Um, God's grace was that good. God's grace was also so good that I don't have any recollection of what happened to me. I don't, I don't know any of that. I don't remember anything being in the hospital for two months at all, which from all the stories I've been told was very good because I had some pretty wild times. They said one time I was making karate moves in the room, like at this aide who was just, you know, in there to hang out with me and help me if I needed me. Yeah, I don't do that to the public or people I don't know. So I don't do it to people I do know. Um, you know, like I said, all my freedom and independence had really in my mind seemed like it was taken away from me. But I didn't let any of that stuff hold me back or get me down. I moved forward. You know, my aunt called me one day on the way to church, probably about seven or eight months after this happened. And she was doing some thing with, you know, people who were trying to come to God or find out about God maybe for the first time in their lives. And she asked me about my anger or being mad and upset about what happened to me. And I didn't know how to answer her because I never thought about it, but I'd never gotten mad. I'd never been sad. And that's like when the first time I actually thought about it and it dawned on me and Unfortunately, I didn't have an answer for her, so I don't know what she did with her class, but <laughs> that's when I started thinking about things and thinking about why, was I, why am I not upset? I know it's okay to be upset. I know it's okay to be mad. I mean, I know even still in my mind now, <clears throat> I kind of think it would be okay to get revenge, hmm. but I never went there. I never thought about that stuff. Um, Talk, Justin, talk about that. We, you and I talked about that moment right. where you realized you had never gone to a dark place. Right. Which I think, I mean, you said it was the grace of God, and I can't explain it any other way. Right. But then you also <laughs> talked about forgiveness. Sure. Talk about that. Um, you know, it would have been easy to go to a dark spot. A lot of people who lose their vision, whether to disease, age, diabetes, tragic incidents like me, um, they close themselves away from the world. They become hermits. They didn't, a lot of people will never come out of their house again because they're scared of the world. They don't know it. They can't see. You know, they probably think they're going to be judged as well. Um, I didn't go there, and I didn't get upset or mad. And when I, after my aunt had asked me about that on the way to church that morning, I started thinking about things, and I figured it out that I forgive whoever hurt me. Hmm. Nobody was ever caught for what happened to me. I wasn't in trouble. I wasn't being chased down, you know, by the mafia or anything like that. Uh, At least I don't think so. (laughs) Um, You know, the police figure it was probably a gang initiation deal because to get in a gang nowadays, if you go shoot someone at random, you can get in a gang. I forgive whoever hurt me because that forgiveness doesn't make what they did to me okay. Hmm. That forgiveness is for myself and for my own heart. So I don't need to carry around this negativity, a a burden, if you will, on what they did to hurt me or, you know, possibly try to end my life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, <laughs> it's hard to fathom that. Not for me, but I know I can understand if I heard that from anybody else, it'd be really hard to understand. How do you forgive somebody who did what they did to you like that? Because that's not, it's not for them, it's for me. Mm-hmm. It's to keep my heart whole and keep my life productive and happy and positive you know I tell a lot of people after about two years just sitting around thinking about stuff and everything it 
had come to be and all the miraculous things and faith that myself and my family and our friends, you know, because what happened to me didn't affect just me. It affected everything around me and all the people around me. I think I had the easy part because I don't have any memories of those two months and everyone else had to go through it. My parents, they never left my side. There was always one person at the hospital with me for two months. And, you know, I say all this because those two years after I got hurt and just putting, trying to figure out what's next in life, I figured that what happened to me was not my plan in life by any means. I mean, I, I don't know who would choose to be hurt like I was. But it was obviously God's plan and his story. And I figured out that story and what happened to me and I lived against all odds was because I'm supposed to be out there telling this story. So I started public, doing public speaking and sharing God's glory and love and forgiveness and grace and miracles with people in 2015. I tell a lot of people when I'm doing these talks that, um, you know, I might be blind. I'm so, I don't have any eyes at all, so I see absolutely nothing. I mean, it's the darkest of dark room with your eyes shut you could imagine and then some. But, you know, ever since I've been injured, I've never once been in the dark. I've always been in the light because Jesus' light has shined on me. And it showed me the way. Um, I mean, you know, it's been a journey, but it hasn't been bad. <laughs> I've actually been really amazed how easy everything's been. None of this has been bad. I've never been upset. I've never been angry. None of this has really been hard. I mean, there's been some, obviously, learning curves. But, you know, God show, has showed me the way. And I'm supposed to be out there, you know, spreading his love and his glory. Wow. Justin, thank you for, man, sharing your story and the power of it. And I hope you know, man, we are all encouraged. If, if you could, I, I, I mean, this is your chance. Everybody in here is struggling with, with their own kind of darkness in a different way. If you could give them any encouragement, what, what would you say to them? Never be scared. Never give up hope. Because Jesus is always there with us through the darkest of the dark, through the brightest of the bright, and through the happiest times and the darkest times in our life. He's always there to love us. Um, I mean, I've been a believer my whole life and raised up in church and stuff every Sunday. And something happened when I got hurt. I think God, Jesus, and I sat down and we had to talk, you know, a really good meeting and everything became really clear because we have such a short distance relationship now hmm. um, I just know that he's always there I mean I've had you know I've had my issues in life and dark spots and dark times and you know times I strayed away from God or didn't think about him but he was always there no matter what um, you know it's really nice to know that Jesus is the light of the world. It's nice to know that he's there. He loves us. He forgave all of us, you know, which kind of made, even made some more sense to me about not being angry and loving and being able to forgive us. I forgave this person because Jesus forgave all of us for our sins. He gave his life for our sins. Uh, he loved one of us. It's, you know, these are the things Jesus came and taught the world. And, you know, it's, it's nice to really know and to know that, He's there for us to fall back on and rely on in the darkest of times. Uh, I actually spoke with my aunt 
who asked me that one question who helped me figure out the forgiveness stuff uh, last week. And, you know, something, a good thing she made, you know, imagine going out way out into the country. And, and you know, it's pitch black. There's no cities for 100-something miles anyway. And it's pitch black out there at nighttime. But that's when the stars are the brightest. You know, I, could, I think of that as that's Jesus shining on the world then. The moon's usually brighter out in the dark too. Um, but, yeah, just... You know, never give up hope. Always remember that the, that the Lord is there and loves us and forgives us and will walk with us in the darkest of times. I, I have a tagline on my business cards for speaking, and uh, it was from 2 Corinthians. I just pulled part of the sentence, walking by faith, not by sight, mm-hmm. because that's what I do every day. I walk, and I think I walk pretty good for not being able to see, because if I've got faith, and I know I'm going to be guided correctly. Awesome. Thank you, Justin. Yes, sir. Can we, can we just pray for you? Absolutely. Let's, let's pray together, church. Uh, God, you are, you are so good, and your love endures forever. And right now, as we just hear, um, as we hear Justin's heart, God, uh, we, can see, uh, we can see your light shining in the darkness. And we praise you for that. God, I want to just thank you for saving his life. I want to praise you for... Uh, for the, just a miraculous healing and the people you put along the way. I want to thank you for his mom and dad and for their faithful love and dedication. I want to thank you for, God, just the hundreds and thousands of things you've done in the last few years that, that, that I'll never know. But, but, God, you've brought him so far, and you've been so good and so faithful. And now, because of your goodness and your faithfulness and your kindness, God, he's been able to, to share with us his perspective, what he's seen of you um, and how you have touched his life, God, and now you're using him to touch ours. So God, thank you. God, I prayed for his continued healing. I pray that you continue to work in his life and his story, uh, to share his story and to bring more and more people uh, to the knowledge of your son, the light of the world. Uh, God, we love you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you guys help me thank Justin for coming? Thank you, Justin. Thank you. They're standing for you. Okay. You know, I wouldn't change. I wouldn't change what happened to me to get me where I'm at in my life now, because the. Since I've been hurt, I've been, <laughs> I'll least it may sound, I've been happier than I had been in a really long time, probably most of the time in my adult life. Don't get me wrong, I've had a great life, but, you know, overall, I'm more happier. I don't have stress, and everything with Jesus and God just makes more sense and, and clicks with me every time, and, you know, just knowing that he's always there, even more so than ever, has, has been beautiful. So, thank you, thank you all. I think we have to think differently, don't we, about light and dark. Jesus said, you know this is true, he said, I'm the light of the world. He said, those that follow me, they can have the light that leads to life.
Church, if you would, let's, let's stand together. I know this is true. I know it's true because of what Jesus said and what Justin shared. That today, today you, you may be in darkness, but you don't have to walk in darkness. The funny thing is, is you can, you can see. You can, you can see what's ahead of you, but you can be surrounded by darkness. But Jesus has said that you can have the light of the world, the light that leads to life, and that if you have this light, if you follow him, you don't have to walk in darkness any longer. So here's what I know is true. You don't have to be able to see to walk in the light. And I know there are some in the room today, obviously, so thankful for Galen and Becky being on stage and sharing with us the scripture that Jesus is the light of the world. So, ju- so thankful for Justin for you being here to share with us what it means to you that Jesus is the light of the world. I know there are people in the room today, there are more of you I know, who are struggling with physical sight. There are so many of us in the room today struggling to see the way ahead. And no matter what current darkness you're up under, I want to just remind you today of this truth. That Jesus is the light of the world. And what I want to invite you to do is what Justin has shared with us today. Just step into the light. Did you hear what he said? He now has a short distance relationship with God. I love that. And you can have that too. So today, we're going to sing a song. And if you need prayers, I'm going to invite our elders to make their way around the room. They'll be on the edges or they may come and and pray with some of you who, uh, who have asked for prayer. If you need prayer, feel free to go to one of them and join one of those prayer circles. Maybe for whatever reason you've been in the dark and you want to come back into the light and they would love to just pray over you, pray with you, and to usher you into the presence of Jesus and into his presence. That's where the light is shining, so that's where you want to be. Some of you, for whatever reason, you've never made that decision to become a follower of Jesus. And if you want to do that, if you want to go from darkness into light today, we would love to pray with you about that. We would love to see you step into these waters of baptism behind me. And it's in these waters where you literally, you go down into darkness and then you are raised into the light of life. It's a beautiful thing. It's a relationship with Jesus, who is the light of the world. Wherever you are, whatever you need is today, the question is simple. Will you let the light of God rise in you? I know this. Jesus stepped from the light of heaven into the darkest day of humanity. And three days later, a light emerged from that tomb. Will you let the light of Christ live and rise in you today, this week, this month, this year? Will you let the light of the world shine? Let's sing.